The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, you've been waiting for a long time. You wanted him back, and guess what? Raven has returned to talk as Jericho. And this time in this amazing part two of our conversation, we're talking straight on wrestling, ECW, WCW, WWE, the creation of the Raven gimmick, in-ring psychology, the indie scene, booking, and drinking with Shane McMahon. How's that for a Thanksgiving travel treat, huh? Speaking of treats, it's that time of year when it's hard to stick to your diet and workout program because you're surrounded by amazing food. Good thing there's DDP Yoga to help you get you through the night. You can do DDP Yoga anywhere, anytime. 30-minute workout that you control, and it works. I know because I do it. And you guys have a great DDP success story as well. you got to let me know. You've been tweeting me your DDP Yoga stories, too, at Talk is Jericho. Use the hashtag podcast one. And one lucky Talk is Jericho sexy beast listener will win a copy of DDP Yoga signed by Diamond Dallas Page. Listen, Eric Thacker has his own DDP yoga story. Eric was tipping the scales at 448 pounds. That is very dangerous, very unhealthy. His doctor warned him if Eric didn't start doing something about his weight and start taking care of himself, he would probably die. All right, so Eric started DDP yoga, and one month into the program, he lost 30 pounds. That's a pound a day. Give me any other weight loss program that's going to get those type of results. You can't because there are none. And after two months, Eric was down 55 pounds. That's insane. Yeah. Not only was Eric losing weight, he also accomplished something he'd never done before. He did his first push up ever. He stayed on the DDP yoga program, and in only one year, Eric lost 185 pounds. Eric not only changed his life, he reclaimed it. Diamond Dallas Page and DDP Yoga have since helped tens of thousands of people, including me. Now, if he's helped you, you got to let me know, man. Tweet me your DDP Yoga story to Talk is Jericho at Talk is Jericho. Use the hashtag podcast one and you could win a copy of the DDP Yoga program autographed by Diamond Dallas Page himself. That's right. Just tweet me your DDP Yoga story at Talk is Jericho. Use the hashtag podcast one for your chance to win an autographed DDP yoga program a winner will still be chosen at random and you still have time to experience your own ddp yoga story because ddp is giving you guys a great deal on ddp yoga just go to ddpyoga.com slash jericho to take advantage that's ddpyoga.com slash jericho ddp yoga changes lives and it can change yours you need to give it a try today talk is jericho Welcome 
Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride. And let's play some Enemy by Fozzie right here on Talk is Jericho. Yeah. 
wanted to play that song for you. Huge uh, response whenever we do that um, on this current Cinderblock Party tour. Right now, talking to you from Cologne, Germany, on a day off. Lovely day here, looking uh, out the window at the river. I think it's the River Zine, maybe, if that's what it's called. I'm not sure exactly what the name of the river is. I'm sure you guys can tell me. And it's been a great tour, even though um, the very first night of the tour is when the tragedy happened in Paris with all the uh, attacks and all that sort of stuff. So it kind of did put a little bit of a damper on uh, on the shows at first, but... I think even though a lot of bands canceled, we did not want to cancel. We wanted to keep uh, keep the tour rolling and put some smiles on people's faces no matter what. I mean, whether 10 people showed up or 10,000, we wanted people to, to have a good time and, and come rock with Fozzie if they chose to do so. And it's been pretty cool. You know, All the shows have been great. The crowds have been great. And we even played a show in Paris on Friday. It was actually a, kind of a, a little bit of the outskirts of Paris called Vauréal, Vauréal. And um, didn't really know what to expect. It was a little bit eerie, a little bit uh, kind of a, a creepy type of a vibe. But still a very, very fun show and kind of a cathartic show, I think, for a lot of people, including me, um, to see the smiles of the people who uh, who came from Paris, from France, the reactions that they gave us. Um, it was one of those nights you never forget. And actually... You know, usually when you have uh, some some you know, very big tragedies, you have a moment of silence for the victims. One well, of the true spirit of rock and roll, we had a moment of noise, which was great. A minute of noise, actually. You can see that online, I believe. But it, um, and it wasn't hard to do. I mean, those people were screaming and cheering for a whole minute, which was amazing. And it just added to the whole night. You know, it was very a triumphant night. Of course, you're really watching the back of the room, you know, watching the back of the hall. Um, but I, I think that um, it was a good idea to continue to do the tour and to do that show in Paris, and we're very honored that we could uh, do it. And it was interesting to me because there was a guy who was working there at the, I think it was called Le Forum, Le Forum in Vauréal. He was kind of the guy who was the production assistant for the day, kind of taking care of the dressing rooms, and you guys need anything, and getting us food and towels and all that sort of stuff came to find out that he was actually at the Bataclan in Paris at the Eagles of Death Metal concert um, where, you know, 100 people were, were murdered or whatever it was. A, a huge amount of people were murdered. And he actually was there. And when the shootings started taking place, he barricaded himself into... He was at backstage, I guess. He was there as a guest of the band or maybe a guest of the venue, whatever it may be. And him and 12 other people barricaded themselves into a backstage area and he spoke very uh, little english but he was able to tell us the story he told me and, and frank fonseray our drummer he he said that they put a, a sofa up against the wall against the door and then a refrigerator up against the door and he said that uh, the attackers hit the door like bam 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 trying to get in and couldn't move the fridge and all that stuff and then ran away or i guess went on to find easier targets for lack of a better term. And he said they were stuck there for three hours in this in this area, not really knowing what was going on, not really knowing what was happening. And he said that the attackers had suicide belts on, you know, the, the, the bombs attached to them. So they would, uh, when, when the SWAT team came, they set off the bombs on their person and kind of blew themselves up. 
So really, really uh, heart-wrenching, terrible, crazy story. And yet he was there at the rock show. You know, he said, life goes on. He said, this is my job and this is where I want to be. And, and you guys came to play and I wanted to see it. So that's why I'm here. So he just jumped right back on the horse again, which was uh, incredible. So, um, and I said, well, you guys need to get together every, every year. The 12 of you guys need to get together and, uh, hang out and, you know, have a drink and, and, and celebrate that you survived this horrible tragedy. But, you know, like I said, it was, um, one of those things that, that you just got to keep on keeping on, man. And even though it was a terrible, terrible moment, terrible night for Paris and, and a little bit scary to be in Paris, we still wanted to do that show and be there for all the Fozzie fans and for all the rock and roll fans, even people that didn't uh, come see the show or, or don't even live in France. I think it was good for people to know that there was bands out there still still doing it, still slagging along and, and being there for people. I got a lot of emails from a lot of people who were like, thanks a lot for doing that. and You guys are brave and we appreciate that. So uh, we didn't do it for ourselves. We did it for the people of Paris, for the people of France. And for anybody who, who loves rock and roll. And it's the same reason why the WWE continued their show, uh, Survivor Series, even though there was threats against it. And why I think Fear Factory still played Paris. So I, I think there's a, a lot of people out there who are still going to continue doing what they do. Because if you quit and if you stop doing what you love to do, then that, it's another small victory for the terrorists. And that's not good. So be safe, guys. And, and, and watch your backs. And don't let, uh, you know, don't let um, any of this get to you because we can't live our lives in fear. We have to live our lives the way we, we always have. And if you start being scared of everything, because this stuff is all over and it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. But good always wins over evil. Just be careful and be safe. Watch your, your surroundings. Be, be cognizant of your environment. But don't live in fear. You can't do that. Okay? You can't live in fear. If you do, these guys have won, and, and I'm not going to do that. So, uh, and, and neither is anybody in, in Fozzie, and hopefully nobody here that's listening to talk is Jericho. Keep fighting it. Keep doing it. We love you. Uh, I love you, and I love Raven. This guy is such a character. You guys, uh, such a huge response to his first episode, and now, finally, a couple months later, we're here in part two. Talk is Jericho. All right, so we've... Uh, now we're inside the Raven's lair. <laughs> um, we were talking before about uh, how you still work on the indies once in a while. What do you think when you go and see you know the youngsters nowadays working? Does is there guys out there that are good? Does it drive you nuts? Is the psychology there? Is it not there? All of the above. Yeah, but mostly. Uh I'd say it's all the above except for the psychology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of psychology, but I mean, but there, there's a reason why, because where are they going to learn from? You know, mm -hmm. there's nobody to teach them. I remember uh, we worked a match, uh, Halloween Havoc, years ago, probably 97 or something like that. And it's actually a really, really good match. I, I, I watched it once afterwards. At least I remember it being a good match. <laughs> but I remember we were trying to think of a finish and... I had like this idea and that idea, this idea, that idea. And like you were like the, the elder statesman at the time. You were, you were the vet, so we had to kind of get it past you. And you didn't like it. And you didn't want to do this. You didn't want to do that. And you said, don't worry. It'll come, it'll come to us. Yeah. And about 10 minutes before the show. <laughs> less than that. Yeah, less than that. It was just something simple too, like knocking somebody off the apron or something along those lines. It was really, really simple. And I never forgot that. Like, just relax. 
and it will come to you. And, and all I, I always try to have a backup too, like because I remember I said to you, I go, listen, if if nothing, if we can't think of anything, we'll just do this. So we have something, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But yeah, give it time, you know. We got, you know, you're a professional. I'm not. I wasn't worried about you, you know. I wasn't worried about. I knew I could be in the ring and come up with it, and you would still be able to catch it. So I mean, I wasn't worried about it. Now, where did you come up with? Uh, I mean, the psychology because we were talking, you know, before about how you um, would always try. You know, people when you were younger, like you know, like this is about the flying and flying and this and flying. But you always had a really ground based psychology <laughs> to where you were saying how lazy you were, but you weren't lazy. You just didn't do a lot, but did a lot psychologically. Well, that's to me, that was to me, I get more out of and I'm sure you do now. Like there's nothing better than being staggered, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes into the match. You're staggered. You can't stand up. You're teetering. People don't know if you're going to fall over or, or, or stand up and do something. And and they're just on the edge of their seat going, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And to me, there's no greater thrill than that, because it means they're into this as an as an emotional drama not as an athletic more than an athletic contest like if they're chanting let's go let's go joe let's go chris you know or um whatever it it doesn't how emotionally involved can you be mm-hmm. you, you can't you know i mean you can't be that emotionally involved if you're going let's go so and so let's go so and so you can be into it as an athletic contest and and all the and all the the accolades that go with that but it doesn't have that emotional drama. And I remember why I watched that. Um, I did a personal appearance. I think it was at WrestleMania. And you and Michaels had a phenomenal match. But I still thought the best match, no offense, on the card was Hulk and uh, Vince. Right. Because Vince's facials. I mean, and they didn't. I mean, they had no. They didn't have 20 minutes of false finishes. They, I think they had like. I think it was just a comeback and go home, oh, right? I guarantee that it was that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, like, I remember there was this one spot where Vince, he's like, he picks something up and he's peers, like his head pops up and he's peering into over across the ring and a camera picks it up and it's just like, oh, what a shot. It's the classic. He comes up from, from behind the apron like he's he's uh, coming out of the depths. And remember, yeah. he had color, he was bloody. Right. And he had this this maniacal look like, on his face. Like, like some axe murderer or the creature from the Black Lagoon yeah. you know, coming, you know, uh, rising above the uh, tide. But to me, that's what's exciting. That's what, and that's why I never really cared about Japan that much. You know, I, I think I went six times for six different companies. <laughs> <laughs> I can never keep a job. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but that that that's why I didn't get into it there because it's a different style. And the thing is, I don't care what anybody says. If you do it that, if you if you had Americanized wrestling there, it would get over in a heartbeat. Like if you told psychologically, emotionally. Um, engendering stories i mean because people are the same across the world if 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 what what moves people emotionally doesn't matter where you are it affects people the same way you know Mm -hmm. everybody you know if if you're dating a girl and she cheats on you everybody's pissed off you know what i mean you know uh everybody feels sorry sympathy for the guy the um and that would work in japan i know it would and and just for an example of why i know it would is like the Onita stuff, you know, right? Like his was it wasn't a long dramatic storylines, but it the matches themselves, you know, they were as emotionally heart rending, I guess, as you can get when he's getting blown up. You know what I mean? 
but he would sell it too by by when he won he would cry right that exactly. was his big thing at the end like i just well, i can't believe i won and people would go nuts for him in, in that in that in that case it, it does work in japan and there is that element to it just not what's glorified you know, you go to the guys that are kind of more the top-level guys, your Hashimoto and Tenru, and Chono was really good at that because Chono never did a lot in the ring. Right. You know, Sasaki, too, he just did a lot of heavy chops. But it does work over there. I think they could. I think it would help their business if they started to tell more. Like, I mean, I assume maybe they have changed it, but, you know, if, they t- if they'd have stories that had dramatic, you know, you know, like just for an example – um, the Sandman, you know, he had a valet. It was his wife. You know, they left. You know, I steal his wife. Then I steal his kid. You know what I mean? You tell that story anywhere and right. it's going to get over, you know. The the degree to what it gets over is the, the participants in it and how good the participants are. But that story, if you had two horrendous workers, it still is going to get over. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what kind if you put him in Zimbabwe, it's going to get over. <laughs> You, know, you mentioned before about how, uh, and just talking about that angle with, with Tyler and the Sandman, I mean, your storylines were very long, drawn-out, intricate stories. You had a lot of them in ECW. You had, you had some of that element in WCW, came back to WWE, and, and didn't have really anything mm-hmm. like that. You know? no, and you mentioned sucked. you had the seventh, the seven sins. Deadly but, sin, yeah. But, but they, it's why, based on the movie Seven. I got you. The hardest part, though, with that, just for what it's worth, is... Try to, like, you know, okay, and uh, so Sloth, trying to think of a sin for Sloth that's wrestling-related, but without, you know, or like the guy in, in, in uh, what was it, for uh, Lust, the guy made a dildo out of, uh, and, of a and knife. Out yeah. of a knife, and, you know, I mean, but, you know, so how do you get heat with these archetypes, you know, uh, for wrath and for uh, lust and, you know, envy? And how do you build the heat? And Ed Kosky actually uh, was, uh, he's still a writer there, he I think. He still is, yeah. Yeah, me and him, he actually was helping me with it. And um, and he, uh, I, have to do, I do have to give him some credit because he, he did help me with it. Um, and we found ways, or mostly I found ways, but he helped um, to actually get legitimate heat for each sin in a way that, was, you know, where it wasn't like, you know, okay, we're going to use a stun gun. You know, like mm-hmm. it wasn't outside the bounds of wrestling. It was totally within it. But yet it wasn't, we weren't murdering anybody, which, you know, would have made it a lot easier. <laughs> but why wouldn't they let you, why didn't they let you do it then? I just, because Pat me. I mean, honestly, that Pat made me do it. He wanted it done on heat. Then, and then, oh, then Pritchard, I think Pritchard was overseeing heat. So then I got Pritcharded. You know, because Bruce never liked me either. So, you know, I mean, between the two of them. But why Why would they bring Raven in, who has a, a track record of these great stories? JR, JR brought me in. And then, this is, Mike, this is what Michael Hayes told me, that Vince, when, uh, when, when Vince brought him, when Vince heard about it, he goes, who the fuck hired Johnny Polo? Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I don't think Vince even knew that no. I built, built a career as Raven prior to going there. I think he thought I was Johnny Polo and then... Four years went by and I sat home because <laughs> if I wasn't working for him, I wasn't working anywhere. Or five years went by and now here I am again and now I'm with some new character and uh, who's he to think he can but do that, this? But that's totally it. Vince doesn't know anything uh, or, or rate anything unless you do it through yeah. through in a WWE ring, right? So it's, it's quite possible he had no idea who Raven was. But let me ask you this. You mentioned before that you had an office job with the WWE and, and, and left 
to, to get into wrestling. Two things. Do you think that Vince held a grudge oh, yeah. to you for, the, for that? Absolutely. Yeah, nobody leaves his company mm-hmm. on their own terms, which I did. Um, so that was heat. Then there were some other things that I can't go into that were heat. And uh, so, I mean, it, it was a whole confluence of things that, you know, were partially my fault, definitely partially my fault and just circumstances. But, you know, honestly, if, if I could go back, if I could go there now, I, I don't think I would because I'd rather be semi-retired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if I had an opportunity to come in, which I don't, but if I had an opportunity to come in and do what I wanted to do the way I wanted to do it, I would take that in a heartbeat. But that's not, that's the odds of me ever getting that. The odds of them ever hiring me are astronomical, but of me getting to do what I wanted to do are beyond astronomical. You know, so it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, well, why did they offer you a booking job back when you were Johnny Polo? What, what, what did you show them that they, that they went that direction with you? Um, I think I, when Lawler was off on his trial, they, uh, they brought me in to commentate. On superstars with Vince, and he saw how prepared I was, and you know how sharp, and then but I also had notes and you know bit, you know material, and Vince, nobody in wrestling prepared, you know back then anyway, you know so he liked that, and then he saw me, you know as an associate producer, made me an associate producer, and then decided that he was uh, that I was being groomed for the, and they made also had me write the, which wasn't doing anything, they had me write the All American and Mania shows like mm-hmm. the uh, the wraparound shows. Which basically is just putting, you know, uh, this match, this segment here and this segment there. I mean, there was nothing to it. I used to, um, they, and I had the office on the Titan and Titan Tower on the fourth floor. And uh, so I had an all, I, all my notes I put up on the wall just so I could see the weeks in advance and whatnot. And then uh, after I did all that for like the first day or two, then I went to the studio. Oh, I know. And then I came up with this idea for a... Um, a nostalgia segment because they had all this great footage that I wanted to watch. So, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, hey, well, how about this? Oh yeah, we'll do that. But then it turned out that like half the footage you can't use because they're persona non grata, you know, at the time. So, but I would just go to the studio and watch videos all day, you know, of, of matches that I knew I couldn't use like dusty versus superstar Billy Graham at the garden, you know, which was, and they wouldn't acknowledge those guys existence because they weren't in the company at that point in time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so, but I had fun watching them. And then after a while, I realized that if I just called the studio and told them I was at the uh, office and told the office, I was at the studio <laughs> that I could just sleep all day. <laughs> or go get drunk and basically i spent about three hours a week in the office and they they thought i was working like 80 hours a week i was like i don't know who who would take 80 hours to do this job it's nothing (laughs) was did they plan ahead quite uh, as far as the angles and stuff that's back when they did yeah yeah how how, like were you ever privy to those booking meetings when they were talking about like next year or i i I quit before i got to that point you know but uh yeah, no, they, but that remember that's when they had like storylines like a year in advance. Well, absolutely. Yeah, they it, would plan next year's WrestleMania like now. Yeah, you know. To, to me, the booking that was always best was Paulie's. It's like he knew where he wanted to go, and he'd allow like he knew how he wanted. He knew where he wanted. You got to have a destination. Mm-hmm. So you have a destination, and then you got to have a starting point, and then you and you have some bits along the way, some beats that you might hit. And then you have to be open to see if this is working, we'll go that way. If that's working, we'll go that way. And then also listen to the audience and listen to the uh, and watch the reactions. And then if you have to change your end game, you change your end game. You know, you, just because you that's your plan, it may not be the thing you really want to end up doing. And 
but you have to be able to think on your feet, you know, mm-hmm. and and recognize a wave that's coming or and but also recognize a wave that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And also you have to make you always want to stay on top of the people. It's like you want to make the people like what you want them to like. You know, if you if you let them dictate where you're going, well, then then they're driving the ship and that's no good because then you can't you can't lead the way. And and now you and it's it's never going to end up in the way you want it to go if the, if the audience is leading the ship. Um, and uh, so I remember I was teaching seminars, like you know I always teach seminars whenever I go on the road. And uh, and uh, and so I tell people I go listen. So you know you, when you're playing to the crowd, you know you get the audience to boo at you, and then you know the, if you're a heel, and then they start cheering for the baby face, and then the baby face will make come back. And somebody asked me once, they go. Well, isn't the audience dictating where you're going if they're cheering and make the baby face makes a comeback? And I go, no, not really, because we're setting such a pace, we're setting such a tempo that by behave the heel behaves in such a way that the audience now is as the uh, the where now the audience wants to see him make a comeback, so that there they begin to chant for the baby face, but only because we set the wheels in motion by getting the heat in the first mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. So we're still controlling the ship, no matter how much it looks like the audience is controlling it. And and that's the best when you get the audience thinking they're leading the way, but really they're just going to a designated spot that you wanted all along. Well, basically, yeah, you, you're 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 pulling the strings. Pull right. the strings. Yeah, I mean that's what master. you're doing, right? You're the puppet master. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. All right, let's get back to Raven. Did you when you when you left uh, to go um, the, left the booking for WB? Did you already have the gig with Paulie, or did you have some time where you were kind of looking for a new job? What was your? Oh yeah, that was uh, that uh, that was weird. That was um, because you're walking away from a, a, a six good figure job. job, yeah, in the office in Titan Towers, yeah. because you wanted to wrestle. Yeah, and also because of Mayday made the policy that no talent couldn't sleep with the uh, with the office people. <laughs> I was proud of that. Which which girl was it? There's a couple of them. Oh, okay, yeah, like the but working in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. I gotcha. So the um, <laughs> yeah, they uh, they used to call me Johnny Portchester Polo because. Stanford, they rolled the sidewalks up at one o'clock, but Port Chester was open till like five in the morning. It's like five miles away. So like every night they'd be like, ah, Ray, you know, Ray, Johnny Polo, he's out in, uh, I'd be out at five in the morning every night. And then here's where I, my downfall was I'd bring Shane out with me, Shane McMahon. Mm. And the boys are like, ah, oh, you're sucking up to him. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm burying myself because he'd, you know, he'd call his dad, you know, like in, in commentary, I'd call his dad Vic instead of Vince. So he'd go, hey, Vic, this <laughs> is horrible. He'd go, hey, Vic, it's, uh, and it'd be like four in the morning because I'm just going to sleep with Johnny Polo's tonight, you know. And so it's just, uh, I buried myself. Heat right there, right? Mega heat. <laughs> you can, you're hanging out with a wrestler? Oh, yeah. Terrible. So so when you left, though, I mean, you, you, what did you say? Like, Vince, I'm leaving because I still want to wrestle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did he say? 
I don't know. I don't even remember. You know what I mean? I think I said that to, to Pat, and Pat's like, well, why don't you wrestle here? I'm like, because yeah, I thought to myself, yeah, because I'll just be jobbed out. Because like, that's what people don't understand either is you you have to leave to come back. Like, I remember this is a little lesson I learned. Um, somehow I picked this up. There was these two job guys, Jim and Mac Jeffers. Remember that on WCW Saturday <laughs> night, like way back when? And then they went to Memphis and it became the mod squad and they got a push, you know, and like on the territories. And I was like, and then I, they came back and they got a little bit of a push, you know what I mean? And then they, but they mostly were in the territory guys, but they always got pushes after that instead of being in just job guys. Mm. And, and I realized that you, however you're perceived, perception's reality. So however you're perceived, that's how you're stuck. And I was perceived as Johnny Polo, goofy manager, and I, I'd never be able to, to recast myself because they, that's not how they perceive me. So I knew I had to leave. And Cornette said, promised to bring me in. To Smoky Mountain Wrestling? Yeah, Smoky Mountain, uh, where you never tried. <laughs> it's, uh, where, uh, and, and he kept blowing me. Uh, next month, next month. Now, with that, I'm, I'm so glad now he blew me off because, uh, because I was watching ECW and I said, man, it's the greatest show I've ever seen. So, uh, and it was. It was even better than Bill Watts' UWF. And... So I called Which up. Which is great, by the way. I love Oh, UWF, my God. Yeah. That, was, that was great. Yeah, Mike Boyette. He never won a match. <laughs> fell off the top rope. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, he, he was like 0-96 or something like that. So, so, so you loved ECW. Yeah, so I called up. Uh, but I didn't, think, I didn't think Paulie liked me. So I called up Paige, who I knew they were friends, and uh, called in a Diamond favor. Dallas Page? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I said, Paige, get, me, uh, get Paulie to hire me. And, he go, and I came up with the character. Well, what, what was, let's talk about this. What was the concept of the character? Uh, it's a dark torture. Basically, Jim Morrison meets um, Robert Plant meets Gen X meets, uh, um, I guess, emo, you'd throw in the word now. But I mean, but it, there wasn't a word then. But, you know, it, it was a tortured, tortured, poetic soul, you know, who thought who but who who always thought that he was getting a, a shitty deal and uh, but never blamed anybody but him, you know, blamed everybody but himself, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, how'd you get the name Raven? I was just sitting there one day and I was trying to and I was trying to come up with an outfit and a na- and the whole thing came in like two minutes, like mm-hmm. like literally inspiration. I was like and the crow was out and I was like, I don't want to be, you know, I'm, I don't want to be like that. But then I'm like, what, is his name? what was his name? Eric Draven, Eric Draven, Draven, Raven, Draven, Raven, quote the Raven evermore. That's it. And mm-hmm. then I knew I had it. And because then I had the catchphrase too, quote the Raven evermore. Um, and then the outfit, I was like, eh, let's see, I need flannel. So I put the flannel, cut the sleeves off. I'm like, no, nah, now I look like big Josh, <laughs> <laughs> the lumberjack. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, that, that was, uh, some ins- lack of inspiration coming up with big Josh for Matt Bourne. I mean, it was already enough of a character. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's like, oh yeah, but I tied a flannel around my waist, wear some ripped up jean shorts. Uh, I need some leather, get a leather jacket concert tees cut off the sleeves so now i don't have to uh worry about my stomach because i always had you know love handles and uh never had a chest but had big arms and shoulders uh before all the damage to them and so i mean it just all fell right into place you know perfect timing too because that was about 94 95 which grunge was in his peak as well so you kind of had that kind of uh, aggro grungy type look to you mm-hmm. which was really really popular you know yeah you know the sad thing was is that Unfortunately, like I remember Jimmy Hart one time said to me, like around 99 or something, he goes, 
He goes, you know, grunge isn't really in anymore. I'm like, yeah, but that's such a microcosm of my gimmick, you know, mm. Not, nothing against Jimmy. But it's like, you know, people that like now I'm I'm out of touch. You know what I mean? Like I if if I was asked if somebody asked me now what what's happening with 20 year olds, I couldn't tell them. You know what I mean? Because I'm but the 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 character uh, he re, he was relatable to anybody who was a biker a disenfranchised anybody who felt like a misfit who felt lost who felt you know there was such a a wide group of people that grunge was just you know a, that's like calling ECW all about hardcore right, yeah it's, gotcha yeah, course, yeah it's just yeah it had that it had, element in it but that was sure you know, it wasn't the whole thing not even yeah. not even a but, close yeah that's but that's that was my point is that that whole look was very fitting for the time right right as well as as the character no no, no i know i know you're yeah. saying that but i'm saying but then unfortunately some people who were older generation didn't see that yeah thought you were just a grunge guy yeah i thought that that was okay that was past now you know got updated you know so so when Paige called and got you hired did you talk to paulie about what you wanted to do with this character at first yeah but he thought out well Paige called me uh I guess Paige got a hold of him on like a Sunday. I'd been out all night, coked up the night before. So my buddy uh, who I was staying with, he uh, he's like, hey, get up, get up. Um, yeah, I took like six halcyons to go to sleep. You know, I was just, you know, and he's like, uh, get up. Paige wants to talk to you. So I get up. I'm like, he's like, wake up. I'm like, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so, you know, and he goes, eh, Paulie's going to call you in like five minutes. You got a starting date, whatever. I'm like, thanks, man. So I hang up. So Paulie calls. Uh, so I goes, call Paulie. So I call Paulie. Paulie goes, I'll call you back. <laughs> Famous words. <laughs> so five minutes later, he called me back and he told me where my starting date was and all that. And then uh, I promptly uh, hung up the phone. I'm all excited. And I forgot everything he told me. <laughs> but you know, the funny thing is, like, why would Paulie said I'll call you back? Yeah, I know. That's just it's great. Like, it's like, it's like. He wanted to make sure you weren't recording the call or something. Well, no, I thought that that way he's like, that. I don't know. I, I love Paulie. He's but got the upper hand, maybe or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> I could have, you know, whatever. But but the best part though is I completely forgot, forgot everything. That everything said, yeah. that he said, I had no idea. <laughs> so w- w- how did you get brought in there? Was it brought in to be a, a top performer? Was it just another guy? I was there to get Dreamer over, and um, and he thought it was going to be like a comedy grunge character or something but then i went up to the studio to do a promo and uh i cut like some you know some i cut a raveny promo and paulie was like wow and and what was so cool about it was i've told this before i mean every booker sees themselves through a certain character mm-hmm. you know like vince saw himself as the million dollar man and lex luger the patriot those are who is that's who he saw oh, really all bookers do that. And Paulie saw himself through Raven. So it was great. So, I mean, it, like, for in the beginning, he knew the character better than I did, you know. And just to, because I, in the beginning, I was still feeling it out, but he had it in his head, you know what I mean? That's why we worked so well together. So you think he felt like a disenfranchised type of rebel? I don't know, but but it's just every booker has a, has a, chara- has a, has a wrestler that you see that they mm-hmm. see their eyes through, you know what I mean? That, that, that they react with, you know, I think, um, you know, well, I mean, obviously you can tell with Vince that it's, uh, <clears throat> the million dollar man and the Patriot. I mean, that those are just so the Patriot, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the jacked up, you know, all American and, and Vince really, I mean, Vince thinks he's a Patriot, you know, maybe he is, maybe he isn't, I don't know, but you know, but he believes he is, which mm-hmm. is all that matters to, to the story, you know, but, uh, 
you know, it's also, let me think who, um, you know, I'm sure Watts, you know, saw himself through the, you know, whoever the toughest guy in the territory Dr. was. Dr. Death. Yeah, Dr. De- exactly, Dr. Death. You know what I mean? Uh, Dusty saw himself through, well, Dusty, because he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Bischoff was really, he put himself in the NWO. I mean, he exactly. felt, he felt yeah. he was a cool heel like the NWO guys. Exactly, sure. yeah. Yeah. Um, when, uh, when you got to ECW, was it the phenomenon that it was, or was it still building? No, it, it wasn't at, like it, it wasn't at all. There was like there were no baby faces and heels. And Paulie at that point thought that it was uh, that that was passe. But but it, it isn't. It never will be because you have to build a set of heat to make a comeback for a match to be at its most efficient or most effective. You know, and to be a, a drama. And so the the heels were getting cheered. The baby faces were getting booed. It was a mess. You know, and uh, and I came in and I said, and it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my career is I said, I'm going to be a heel. Everybody's going to get cheered who fight, fights me and I'm going to get everybody who's with me is going to get booed. And I don't care what anybody else in the card does, because Piper taught me that. He goes, doesn't matter what anybody else does. All that matters is your match, you know. And so I took that to heart. And uh, and so then I, I, I instilled that. And then eventually everybody ended up being one or the other. But they, they it really... It really wasn't the way I like I basically the wave was getting ready to crest and I just happened to jump in paddle and steal the wave from everybody. <laughs> How did you make Raven a heel though? Because what you just described, that was the consummate baby face for that crazy Philadelphia. Because he was crowd. a whiny bitch. Ah, okay. Yeah, you gotta show your ass. Mm, that's the number one rule for a heel that I've found. And that's the hardest thing for people to do because that's where your ego comes into play. Because you know, no, yeah. Once people start liking you, why do you know? I don't want to yeah. be, you know. I, I, hey, look, they like me. I must be cool, you know. Yeah. But to me, I always wanted to be booed. I, I liked. Like, it's like I remember I used to say to you, "How can you, when you were a babyface in WCW, you'd go stand in the crowd, and even when they weren't cheering you, you would be like, yeah." And I'm just like. Oh, I just, it would creep me out to be that rah-rah, you know, like I just, I don't have that bone in me, you know, and <laughs> I did that because I had nothing, you know, I, I had nothing. But what just, I'm saying, but the fact that you were able to do it, even gotcha. when they were turning on you, to me was just amazing because, you know, it's, uh, there's a certain, you know, dreamer, dreamer can, is such a white meat baby face, you know, at least, you know, it, on camera, he will anything, you know, it's it. I can't even begin to describe like how white meat he wants to be like he wants to die in the ring. You know, he wants to be murdered in the ring and he would do it just because his, it would make his character more baby face. And I could never be that rah-rah like, you know, join in with the fans and yay me and, you know, and. I just I'm I've, I'm a, I'm despicable at heart. You had a darker side as a person. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, or I wasn't loved as a child, so I, it doesn't. So trying to be loved doesn't resonate as well with me, or mm-hmm. at least on, on that kind of emotional level. You mentioned that uh, your Piper told you uh, about um, worrying about your own match. Did you wor- did you work closely with, with Roddy? Was he kind of a mentor to you? Yeah, definitely. He was the one who brought that uh, hired me in Portland. Um, he, he liked misfits. Like, that's why he liked me. He liked Art Barr. He liked Matt Bourne. You know, he, we were like his favorites because, you know, we were, because Piper was a misfit, you know, himself. And he, so I think he saw himself, you know, through us. And so when I went to Portland, he was the booker there. And, uh, and 
I told him that, you know, I used to commentate with Gordon Soley in Florida, which definitely was a, a plus because he commentated with him, you know, in Georgia. And, uh, and he said, look, he goes, I got, he goes, and he's doing the old timer thing, which man is so old timer. I don't think anybody does, alive does it, but when he's, uh, when he's talking to me, he starts squeezing my traps and my, my arms and cause you know, he got a jacket on. So basically trying to see how muscular you are, you know, <laughs> yeah. like to size you up, you yeah. know, but it's like, it's such an old timer thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he goes, listen, he goes, I'll give you three weeks to get over. He goes, if you don't, I, I, nothing I can do. And I'm like, no, that's all I ever wanted from anybody. And I, and I wish more people were like that would give you three weeks, you know, cause three weeks, three weeks, I'll get myself over in a heartbeat. The first, first episode, I was like, all right, I, um, they said they were going to make me the color commentator in Portland and, uh, and one of the wrestlers. And so I'm like, all right, if I'm going to open the show, um, so I got this cool bolero hat as white bolero hat. And uh, wore like a really cool outfit. And then I met some chick at a club. So I was like, listen, meet me at the sports arena. And so I was going to have a chick on TV with me. I'm like, you know, because back then nobody had valets. I'm like, I'll bring a broad with me, you know. So, boom, I'm an impact, you know. Yeah, you're a star right off the bat. Right. And then Piper goes, listen, Scotty the body. I'm going to have you pick your nose on TV. And then they're going to call you snotty the body. They're going to identify with you like that. And I'm like, oh, this is a rib. But I, because... My, I left my ego way behind, you know, like I that I knew that if I said no, then I was done anyway. And besides, you know, I'm like, all right, got to listen to the veteran. They know better, you know. So I stick my so the show's opening and I got my finger halfway up my nose, you know. And <laughs> so they started calling me snotty to body and the audience picked it up. And it so, the instant boom, you know, snotty, snot. It's like it was like a USA chant in reverse. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was so simple. And I'm like, wow, he's a genius. You know what I mean? And then uh, then the next week he's like, oh, we lost the footage. You got to do it again. I'm like, mother. <laughs> so I did it again, and then I was like, I can make money with this. So I took eight by tens with a picture of me and the other co, co uh, commentator, but I had my finger up my nose, and I'd hold it up, and I'd say, "If anybody buys this picture, I'll quit Portland wrestling. I'll never come back." You know, and so of course people would buy it and they'd wave it in my face. I sold a shit ton of them. I was like, "You dumb idiots." <laughs> The old reverse psychology. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the secret: is you have to. That's why you have to control where it's going. Because if if the audience controls it, you can't. You know, stuff like that doesn't work. You know, and 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 surprises don't work, and nothing really works in the long run if you're not in control. I find sometimes uh, in WWE, and 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 it's not always this way. I mean, I've had some great great storylines where we had a beginning uh, or change it to make it good. But a lot of times they'll be like, we don't know what the finish is going to be. And to me, it's the equivalent of, okay, draw, draw me a picture of what? I don't know. <laughs> well, do you want a horse? Do you want a cow? You want a dog? Eh, I'm not sure. And you're drawing, okay, I'll just start drawing a duck. And then halfway through, it's like, no, we want a cow. And now we want a dog. And then you have this weird hybrid creature that right. makes no sense. That is what can happen when you don't have a direction and a yeah, goal and a finish. You have to, you got to have a direction. I mean, well, and what I'm so surprised at, well, actually, I'm not surprised because Vince became an addict. He became a, a total addict for the Monday night rating. And so he would sacrifice matches that could have made him a fortune just so he could get his rating fix, you know, mm -hmm. and every Monday it was a ratings fix. And so and that's how he went from being a long term booker to a week to week booker, you know, and, and you can watch it happen, you know. Basically, the Monday Night Wars. The same thing happened with Bischoff, too, when you talk about, you know, the Hogan-Goldberg match on, on uh, free TV. Remember that? I mean, come ridiculous. on. Ridiculous. 
I mean, I still remember that the the Georgia Dome, like forty five thousand, fifty thousand people, and they did that match last, so Hogan could basically take credit for that many people being there, right? And giving away this this rating, this match for a rating. Now, what if you would have said to Hogan that when you interviewed him? What do you think he would have said? He probably would have said that uh, he was put in that position that the bookers wanted him there, whatever. You know, I, I think maybe. What do you I, think? Know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know him really. Yeah. I don't know him. But I mean, the point being is that, that that was kind of like you said, there was a lot of of jockeying for position based on those Monday night ratings, which took the emphasis off basic storytelling. Yeah. And, and, and that's why, you know, that's what that and that's when the company fell apart when they stopped um when they stopped being in charge of the direction and then they let the audience, you know, and Billy Kidman's fighting Hogan because the Internet wanted to see it. What, what is that? You know, I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, mm-hmm. there's no reason for that. Um, and all and because and Kidman should have known better. The last person he wants to fight is Hogan because Hogan knows how to get himself over and Kidman doesn't, mm-hmm. you know. And so Kidman, Hogan guy came out looking like, you know, better than ever. Ken Kidman came out looking worse than ever, you know, but it's just yeah. When when the internet started driving the ship, I mean, it, we should have known that the the end was near, you know. Because th- if you think about it like this, all right. So, what percentage of people? Okay, like if you're a fan of uh, hockey, right? Mm. So you're a huge fan of hockey, right? Like you'll you'll go you'll go to f- games, right? Now, will you go on websites and read about hockey? No. Okay, but let's say you're that big a fan that you'll go on a site and read about it, right? Think how big a fan you have to be now to write in. (laughs) That's how small a microcosm it is of the people who write in. It's the people who not only are so into it that they're, you know, that they're going to go see it, that they're going to that they're going to read about it on their free time. But then they're going to have time to argue back and forth. That's a that is a tiny percentage. And if you cater to them, they don't know. They don't know anything about drawing money, you know. So, I mean, it's like I, I used to love reading like in the sheets, like they'd be like, ah, why don't they push so and so? Then they'd push him and the guy wouldn't draw a dime and he'd go, oh, well, uh, he doesn't draw. And I'm like, well, you should then why don't you at least admit that you were wrong in the first place? Do you think that that's kind of hurt uh, the business, the, the amount of information that's around in this day and age? I don't think it makes it I, I, like you. It's it's unavoidable, you know, mm. so I don't there's no putting a genie back in a bottle. So I think it's a moot point. But uh but that it got to that point. I mean, because like, when I said that it was when I was a kid, I didn't know anything other than what was going on on Superstars, right? And maybe reading uh, the odd, you know, After Mag, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, or whatever, which was all made up. Anyways, I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> Neither did I. But that's all you would know. Yeah. You didn't know anything else that was was yeah. going on. There's a lot of magic there. Uh, to oh it. yeah, I think it takes away the magic. It take, you know, it's it's opening Christmas presents the night before instead of on Christmas Day. Yeah, or, or uh, I, I liken it to like when I go see a movie. I don't want to know what the finish of the movie is no. before I go. I want to see it unfold the way that the producers and the directors intended it to be. You don't want told. to. You don't want to see the trailer and have the finish already given away in the trailer. Like yeah, I, like Castaway. I saw the trailer for Tom Hanks and, and the volleyball. They show the finish. They show him after he's got back off the island. I mean, let's face it. I'm 99 percent sure he's getting off the island. Yeah. But I don't want it to be handed to me in the trailer that he's definitely getting well, off what's the, the island. What's the point of going? Yeah. The volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> 
I thought the volleyball should have got an Oscar. The volleyball, Wilson. Wilson was amazing. Uh, you actually, a little bit of, of a segue, I just thought of this when you were talking about Portland. It might not have been in Portland. It might have been uh, some of the other time. But you were one of the first guys that actually had um, uh, a, a movie player in your car like nowadays every van <laughs> has a screen that you drop down but you had this first now, i yes. don't know why i remember this but, 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 but how'd you do that because i'm lazy and i hate driving in the car and uh like my parents couldn't believe i went into a business where i had to drive three thousand miles a week you know because i couldn't stand driving 20 minutes you know uh-huh. so i put a i had a blazer and I put it. I found a five-inch uh, TV, color TV that I put on the dash, and it just wedged in there perfectly. And then I hooked it up to a to a VCP, a video cassette player. And the reason I didn't get a VCR was because the, the reason I got a video cassette player was because they had an AC/DC adaptable, so I could plug it into the lighter. And I put down the back seat, and then I would uh, and then put movies on or shows I recorded, and then I'd use the remote control over my shoulder. <laughs> One time, one time I got pulled over. I was watching TV, doing like 95 and a 55, drinking like every possible thing you could get. It was like 500 bucks worth of tickets. So um, I go, so I figured, and, and, and what I found out in Oregon was like, you know, if you write a letter and say I had a headache that day, I had a migraine, they'll take like 80 bucks off your bill. Like seriously, like I, I, somebody told me that. So I tried it. It worked on a different ticket. So I'm like, oh, I'm going go to go to go to court for this. So I show up in uh, Salem, Oregon, and the week before, and so this is on like a uh, Thursday, I think. Earlier that week, uh, Saturday night, or the week before the Saturday night, uh, at the Portland Sports Arena where we were every Saturday, I was doing Polaroids, and there was this really hot chick, and I wanted to hook up with her afterwards, but she was gone, so I couldn't find her anywhere. So just keep that in the back of your mind. So now I'm in court, and this girl comes up to me, and I'm now I'm in line to see the judge. And this girl behind me goes, "Oh, she goes, you're uh, Scotty the Body, aren't you?" I'm like, "Yeah." How do you? She goes, "She goes, oh, look, I took a Polaroid with you." I'm like, "Oh, you're the girl that I was, that I wanted to meet up with." And so I ended up getting a ticket dropped from like 500 to 150, and then she blew me in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was an awesome day in court. All from. Setting up the V, the VCR, and the tan. Who did you ride with? Uh, who did you ride with throughout your career? I mean, back in Portland or in ECW times. In Portland, I used to ride with the Grappler at first, and he, uh, you know, I was a green guy, so he always made me drive. Yeah, and he go, hey, he goes, listen, if you get tired, put my mask on, let the Grappler drive. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the best? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of one of those things that. Um, I think it's one, another one of the sad things we talked about. You know, me riding with Murdoch in the last episode. The guys don't ride together as much. When they do, they're all kind of the same age now, same wavelength. Yeah. But the days of like, well, there's not a lot of you know veterans, old timers, whatever right. in the business anymore. But you could learn a lot from uh, from riding with the older guys. Yeah, like if Vince was was smart, he would hire a bunch of old timers. Like not old old timers, but medium old timers, mm-hmm. you know, to, to ride with the kids and teach them psychology, or to work with them on house on house shows. Like, you know, like um, who would be a good example? Uh, okay, like a D'Lo Brown guy or something right, like that. Right. You know, who's who's not with a company? You know, hire him, let him work with guys during the uh, you know on the, on house shows with the guys that are really crappy. You know. Mm-hmm. And then they'll learn how to work, and then they'll ride ride with them afterwards, you know, and or book, 
you know, or book two loops like they used to do. They used to run three loops, but book two loops. But on the second loop, you book the smaller towns, you know, and then have and then you can have those kind of matches. And, then, of course, smaller towns means you drive from one town to the other because they're all in driving range. And then you can ride together and, and learn, you know, which mm-hmm. which I wouldn't. I bet if you post uh, uh posited that to hunter i bet he would be interested in that because or at least that's the character he, he would get it yeah he would understand that yeah. you know i mean i remember when i first went to mexico paco alonso put me with uh hector guerrero for the first three or four months right and you know save the day and i learned the the ropes of mexico from being with hector constantly and a lot of bad jokes too but <laughs> yes <laughs> hector does one of the most amazing things that on his arm drag and this always drives me nuts you ever i hate and I, the reason I stopped arm dragging people was you arm drag them and they end up on their feet before you do. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, right, right, the, right. What's the whole point? The, the, the guy just takes a, a rolling bump and lands up on and rolls up to his feet. And then charges at you again. Yeah. yeah. It's so stupid. But what Hector would do is you know, he'd take, like, you know, so if you're given an arm, if I ever gave an arm drag, I would always give it and make sure the guy wasn't getting up. You know, I wasn't letting go of him because if, if I let go of him, he was just going to roll through. So I'd hold on to it. But, um, but if I want to do, if you want to do an arm drag and let go of the guy, but you know, so you can parade around or whatever, Hector took the perfect bump. He'd take a flat bump and then he'd take another flat bump next to it. Like he skipped like a stone. <laughs> it was awesome though, but it, it made such perfect sense. You know, it's yeah. like, well, just because the bump rolls you up, you know, it doesn't mean you have to roll with it and get up. You know what I mean? It, yeah. yeah. It's stupid. L- cool little detail there. That's the stuff people need to learn, and it'll get lost to history. Now, let's talk a little bit more about ECW. Tim Kazarinski? Oh, please. Yeah, Tim Kazarinski, sweet chuck from Police Academy. (laughs) Uh, I'm still pissed about Colin Quinn and Norm MacDonald being so low on the list. They're like Alfredo Danger Boy in the top 500, so you don't even know, like, why they're ranked in there. It's like... that's like, remember if, uh, Donnie Allen, like one year uh, he was an ECW. Don E. Allen. Yes. He yeah. played Peter Chris in the uh, ECW Kiss. Uh, yeah, Memorial. Yeah. So, but he was, one year he was number 500 in the PWI 500. The next year he was 499. The next year he was 498. And next year he wasn't in it. Like, why wouldn't you make him 497 <laughs> yeah, the next year? On. Why wouldn't like, you keep the thing If going? he lasts a half century or half millennium, he will someday be number one, mm-hmm. right? Like he can make it. He can make it. Actually, Why half century, half century. Um, when I got to ECW, you were like one of the the, the, the power players, one of the top guys. Um, did you have a lot of influence in what was going on in the company with Paulie? Was were you with my stuff? Yeah, absolutely. But you weren't one of like kind of the inner circle guys like Taz or Bubba was that was kind of helping with everything. Well, Bubba wasn't at that point. Okay, the Taz the Dreamer and Taz were, and uh, and then Bubba eventually, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, the uh, as far as creative though, Paulie was um, he was smart. Like well, I mean, in all territories, the 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 top guys always had a say in their own stuff because it's you know because they're the ones drawing the money. So you want to keep them happy, and also you want to get their ideas. I mean, there's a reason why they're on top. So Paulie would allow people. Not just the, not, I guess, well, maybe more the top and then maybe the right below the top to have some input in their own stuff. Um, but he would always, like, no matter what goofy shit I came up with, he would always at least listen to it. You know, like the Blue Meanie, when I came up with that, like, the uh, they're just like, no way. Him and Todd Gordon were like, uh, 
And Todd was telling me this later. And, uh, and I go, no, I'm telling you, it's going to be huge. And how, are you, how are you pitching it? Exactly. I go, this big fat guy, I go, he's going to dress just like, you know, Stevie in a half shirt. And he's going to be a blue meanie. And he's, and he's insane. And he wants to take over the world because he's legitimately batshit insane. And, uh, and they're like, and so the Todd's just, Todd's rolling his eyes, telling me that like, that he at the time he's rolling his eyes, and they go, but yeah, Raven, you know, we'll give him, yeah, because like they always gave me, and I like no matter how outlandish my shit was, they'd always at least, all right, well we'll listen, to, we'll try it once, humor you, yeah, yeah, well humor me, that's it, and uh, and then it got over like a million bucks, you know, because let's face it, a big fat guy with, with makeup on his face, missing a moonsault, you know what I mean. <laughs> As the blue meanie from from the yellow submarine Beatles cartoon, yeah, wanted to go over the world, and, and not only that, but that, uh, but you know, back then nobody was doing moonsault, so so you have a three hundred and fifty pound fat guy doing one, it's impressive, you know. Yeah. This, this is before Bam Bam did one, and you know, and uh, Vader did one. You know, and before they started doing them on Tough Enough. <laughs> yeah, just, or the Total Divas. I remember the Nitro Girls were doing backflips off the top rope for a while. Uh, what was your, uh, this. speaking of the Nitro Girls, why has nobody used that idea since? It's such a great idea, you know. Like kind of the cheerleaders of the company? Yeah, I mean, it's something to do during commercial breaks, you mm. know what I mean? It's, uh, there's always a way you can, um, you know, I, to me that, the the, the 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 one thing that I can't believe nobody has used, and I know, I mean, I know why they haven't used it because it's Paulie's idea. But the Pulp Fiction montage at the end, like to have a montage of promos, is such a brilliant idea because it gets over thirty guys in five minutes. Mm-hmm. That was always at the end of every episode. It'd be kind of like a collage of, mm-hmm. of promos set to the uh, the Dick Dale. Yeah. Yeah, and the um, you know, it's like, but if you watch a lot of shows, you know, like the you watch the Blacklist. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's best show on TV. At the end of the episode, they'll have a bed of music, and so many shows do this now—a bed of music as they cut to one of the main characters as they're going what their tragic thing is, and the next one, and the next one, and then they'll finally pull out of the music as you have your final scene as two people are talking. That's what the Pulp Fiction montage was, basically. Yeah, you know, what you mentioned this earlier, too. I mean, ECW was, was a pioneering company in so many ways. So many ways. And not just, I think a lot of people who aren't in the know think, oh, just hardcore. And that was just a piece of it, just an element of it. First company to have, like, you know, kind of, I don't know if you even want to call it junior heavyweight, but that sort of wrestling, the luchadors and the hardcore and the funny and the, and the Pulp Fiction montages, all that sort of stuff I'd never seen before, at least in this country, until ECW started. Yeah, and I mean, and not only that, but it was a revolution in style. You know, you never had a Sandman before drinking and smoking. Right. You know, the Raven. um, you know, and, and his demented, tormented, you know, this 3D character and his tormented childhood that he was going to display for, you know, for the world. Um, the uh, chicks getting pile driven, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, three way dance. Stevie, Stevie, Stevie breaking up with his girlfriend and super kicking him because his boss, <laughs> his boss is jealous that he's given too much attention <laughs> to his girlfriend. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. Um but it, but yet everybody like that. That's how I was able to keep my heat. Stuff like that is like I tell Stevie to break up with his girlfriend because. But I don't say I'm jealous, but it's obvious I'm jealous that he's spending time Who with her. Who was the girlfriend? Francine. Okay. Yeah, and uh, yeah, because she would put fluff on his belly. <laughs> <laughs> and then then he's like, they thought he was going to stand up to me, 
and then he super kicked her. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, and that's showing your ass, you know. Like Stevie showed his ass. He could have, he could, he should have stood up to me, but nope, he super kicked her. And then, like I said, then you'll have these type of angles, and then right in the middle of everything, you'll have. Uh, Stevie, Meanie, Donnie, Allen, and Nova dressed up as Kiss, coming to the ring, doing the fabulous Fargo strut, and then Salmon comes down and canes them all. Exactly. Or you have nine one one who just comes down when there's a, when there's a we'd had there's always be a mistake in a show so they could play to uh, Edgar Winters Frankenstein da 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 and like and here we go and they go nine one one like like they send two they would send two job or a tag team of job guys against another other tag team of Bad job brood. guys yeah just just to mess up a spot so the people could chant 911 so he could come out and he could choke slam everybody they send chris santa claus out up 911 only in philly does santa <laughs> santa claus get choke slammed they, they have a guy play the national anthem and miss a, a note you know what i mean so 911 here he comes boom you know yeah i mean but stuff like that um the the storylines were you know, two and a half years, Dreamer couldn't pin me. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was ridiculous. You know what I mean? Mm. But it's not. I mean, in, in, a, in a serious way. But you know, it. He kept heat on the heels. Uh, the the um, New Jack and Mustafa. They they would play their music the entire part of their match through the whole match. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sandman the, would take five minutes to get to the ring, drinking beer, listening to because that's how long Andrew Sandman is. And they would play the entire thing right. every single time. He'd pour beer down people's boobs. You know, the match wasn't anywhere near as exciting as, <laughs> as, the, as the entrance. Um, the uh, what else would they do? Um, the uh, I had someone to tip my tongue. Um, Remember when the ring broke and they made Kimona dance in the crow's nest yeah. to strip down the crow's yeah. nest? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she was a stripper, but she wouldn't take her clothes off. Yeah. Ridiculous. And she wouldn't even make a lesbian. She wouldn't do a lesbian kiss with Beulah. And she was a stripper, and she'd been in many a lesbian lesbian incident, I'm sure, in the past. So who did they finally do that with? Was Francine and Beulah did it? No, no. It was, it was them, and they put a big X across the screen. It was oh. horrendous. Worst out for that was one thing I disagreed with was the pregnancy angle because there's no out for it unless you can have her give birth to a glove. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the bad angles in ECW that you remember? Uh, what about the Kurt Angle the crucifixion? Yeah, what was the deal with that? Uh, I was in rehab, but really it was just a, a nervous breakdown, and uh, and so then when I came back, I needed to have some impact. So I thought, yeah, I'd crucify the Sandman. You know, so and like because Raven was a, a martyr for society's dysfunction, so I would use a religious iconography. He'd be a martyr to feel my pain, you know, except everybody, except Kurt Angle, uh, you know, all to him is just they're desecrating a cross. That's all he saw. He, he was there like on commentary, fresh off of winning a gold medal before he went to the WWE. No, no, he was he was after he won the gold medal, after he turned down a million dollar deal with the WWE tried to make it as a commentator or, you know, in, a, in the entertainment field, wasn't quite working out. And now Paulie, so now he's open, more open to stuff. And that's when Paulie's trying to get him to come to us, which was never going to happen after the crucifixion thing. And then of course, Taz jumped on a bandwagon. And, uh, why don't you make it a Jewish star? You know, cause you and Todd and Paulie are Jewish. I'm like, cause it would have rolled away. <laughs> a star would have, <laughs> but the, <laughs> But uh, it still bothers Kurt to this day. Like, you know, he's told me 10 different times, like, no, it didn't bother me. Yes, it did. But, you know, the last time we talked, it, it did bother him. Well, you know, which I know it did. I mean, because 
But he, he took it as a religious thing. It had nothing to do with religion. Did you actually get crucified on the cross? Yeah, I put Sandman on the cross. I made him oh, you build put, it, too. You, you what now? I made Sandman build it. You know, I can't. I, I'm not, I have no lumber skills. <laughs> so I made Sandman build his own cross to get crucified on. It's very uh, Pontius Pilate-esque. Yes, yes. Then did you have to, uh, was there an apology you had to do? Or yeah, something I didn't go do an apology. It was the most insincere, sin, a sincere, insincere apology. And, and here's the thing is, when you're the extreme promotion, the one thing you never do is apologize. Mm -hmm. You can't, you mm -hmm. know, because then it just makes a joke of your extremeness. So I think deep down, Paulie was glad that my apology was as insincere as, as, it, as I could be without being completely insincere. What do you think was the, uh, the demise of ECW? Because uh, they couldn't get on USA Network. And, mm. uh, and they, TNN just didn't have the marbles. You know, they didn't have the uh, juice. And they were too big to be small and too small to be big. And so if they would have got on a if – if once WCW was kicked off of – or once WCW was done and New York went to Spike – I forget how it went. I think Paulie was trying to get us on USA then or something, but Spike was TNN. I don't know. I don't remember how it went, but suffice to say is it was too big to be small and it was too small to be big. It could have now, if it was only one other company like it is now, uh, they would have they survived. But against two monster companies who were both monster, who basically stole every good concept that ECW had. Like, I mean, let's face it. ECW started making money after like i left after the first pay-per-view but that's and that's when they got bigger they started having bigger houses making more money but their influence was done you know mm. like the all the influence they had had already been taken so you know so to me i, I felt like i got out what i getting was good um but yeah did you get out to go to WWE or to go to wcw wcw oh gotcha gotcha yeah. now what do you think the demise of wcw was um they didn't push me. <laughs> <laughs> they should have made you the champ. No, I didn't want to be the champ, but, you know, I'd, I'd like to be like, you know. No, You're a U.S. I, champ. I'd, I'd just like to make like $6 million a year. <laughs> you know you know what sucks is uh, in pro sports, 55 to 70% of the net goes to the talent. And in wrestling, it's 15% of the gross. No, no, I'm sorry. 55 to 70% of the gross goes to the talent in pro sports. And in wrestling, it's 15% of the net. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I know. That's ridiculous. If we were in any other business, my best year would have been $10 million, $15 million. You know what I mean? Yeah. Easily. Well, I mean, that's, and that's just the business that wrestling, you know, the, it's the same thing why there's no union. And I would have, and you know what? I would have been more than happy to quit a long time ago <laughs> if I was making $10 million a year. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying, though. With, with no unions and no, you know, no guarantees of anything, you're still, and even to this day, and it will always be this way. You're at the mercy of the promoter. Yeah. There will never be a union in wrestling. No. It would be impossible because you know I, why? If you and I banded together and we were the two guys in charge that could make a union for wrestling, Vince would get to one of us and <laughs> pay us double and we'd stab the guy in the back and that'd be <laughs> Of it, you know? Well, I mean, I tried to do, I tried to fix the business. Um, that's why I sued him, which is another reason why I'm persona non grata there now. Ooh. Yeah, like if you brought my name up, it would just get, I get it. Get what did you sue them for? Uh, the independent contractor thing. Oh, wow. And the only reason they didn't, the only reason they didn't lose, because I basically, I figured. What was your case? Um, well, they, there's 20 rules in the independent contractor that says whether you are or you aren't. And they basically treat you like an employee. They they break like 18 of the rules, and the other two don't apply. And um, 
there's no way that you're not an employee because if you're if you're an independent contractor, that means that you that, okay. Let's say you're really an independent contractor, like your contract says. That means you could have uh, Spiwi wrestle for you because <laughs> yeah. you don't have to do it yourself. You can labor it out. You know what I mean? If, if you have to be there at seven o'clock for the show, you could decide to do it at twelve o'clock. I'll prefer I'll wrestle at twelve. So it's like being a painter of a house or something. You show up when you want to show yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Do, a job do what then. you want to do. Yeah, I mean all that stuff. And and what I wanted to do was change the business and get everybody health care. Um, and then I couldn't get anybody to go along with me. And then I finally got Canyon and Mike Sanders. And uh, but by then, no, you know, I was like, well, man, well, at least we'll win a lot of money, though, you know, because even because I still wanted to change the business. But when when nobody else wanted to jump on a bandwagon, which I don't blame them, I became I was like, well, at least I'll win some more money. But then uh, I got beat by the statute of limitations. And so uh, you hadn't worked there long enough. Uh, yeah, it had been time? too long. It had been too long since I signed my last contract. Like it had been like five years since I signed my contract, and the statute of limitations was three. But it was really vague before that. Like in some places it's five, some it's six, some it's three. I mean, it all depends. It's really kabukiish. It's one of those things, though. Had it been a class action lawsuit, and you would have got 10, 15, 20, 30 guys on your side. No, it was, but it wouldn't have made a difference because the the statute, the judge. I still think the judge was in Vince's pocket. I, I think that uh, he paid somebody off because then so many cases, the statute of limitation is much longer. And, and for some reason, it was really vague. Like my attorney was even like, you know, who's, um, it, it doesn't matter. But he, uh, they're like, yeah, it, it should be, everything should be delineated because it's the law. But for some reason, cases have gone one way or the other on this. And it's really because oh, I know why, because it depends on whether they start when you're con- when you signed your contract or when you realized you were being mistreated or when your contract ends so by two of the standard well, by one of the standard when my contract ended i was good uh when i first signed it i would be out of the statute that would have ended the other one i could have bullshitted so that would have would have been good with that two out of three mm-hmm. but so now i'm crying <laughs> icicles instead of tears <laughs> See what I did there? Don't be sad. The uh, little meatloaf reference, nice. two out of three. Very good. Um, but uh, the um, yeah, so it uh, so that's why it was really kabuki. I, I think some Vince paid somebody off because he would. I mean, let's face it, he was liable for. He would have been liable for like two hundred and twenty-five million. If if yeah, because why is that? Because he if he if they the judge decided that he knowingly did it. Then they would have tacked on penalties, and it would have gone back like uh, they would have went back year, you know, x amount yeah, of years, yeah, yeah. and then Prorated. they would have tacked and, and penalized and penalties and penalties, and we figured out it was like two hundred twenty-five million that he would have been uh, <laughs> on the hook for. So yeah, so that's one of those things that could still come up because it is a very strange. And, and once again, if you want to be in the business, you have you have to accept it. It's the way yeah, it is. Yeah, but but you I know. still figured. You know, what's funny though is I know I think I got heat with Bischoff because of it. Because then uh, uh, somebody showed me a uh, uh, bloggy road talking about well, Raven should have you know, and those guys they should have just you know, look, they knew what they were signing. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I knew what I was signing, but that doesn't mean I still didn't you know didn't feel I, that I was deserving of what you know this yeah. is. And uh, and I brought it up to him. He's like, ah, eh, no, no, big deal. But then uh, you know, he was never really. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he's a big fan of mine. But whatever. <laughs> he, he can get in line with all the other non-fans. Yeah, that's what we said. There's a lot of non-fans. Uh, just uh, br- briefly, what was your time like when you were with TNA? I've, I've forgotten that you were there and you mentioned it earlier. Uh, it was good in the sense that I got to 
at least go out on top, you know, but it was, um, it was, could have been so much more. I mean, how the hell, like, how the hell do you draw a one rating or whatever, a 1.2 rating? How can you not get a 2.5? You got Hogan, you got Angle, you got, I mean, like, how bad, like, do the storylines have to be that you couldn't draw more people? You know, it's, some of the worst booking over time that I've ever seen. Who was booking there? A lot of different people. Okay. You know, I mean, one of the, look, Russo was good at a lot of things, but he was also bad at, at a lot of major things. Like, Russo was good with my character. I can't complain about that. But he also believed that a title belt isn't worth anything because mm. it's a fake title. I go, well, then if it's a fake title and that doesn't mean anything, then why should anything mean anything? Yeah. The title has to mean everything. In a movie, you know, if it's a boxing movie about the title, you know, would he go, ah, it's a fake title? But him and Disco used to be like, I remember we'd, we'd get together and we'd go over to a show that he'd write um, before he'd give it to Jeff. And he'd be like, and him and v- Disco would be like, you know, what are we going to do? Oh, yeah, the, the fake belt, the fake belt. I'm like, that's insane. I mean, it was, it's just. There has to be a prize that you're working for. Yes. It's like if you're playing in the NFL and, and, and the Super Bowl doesn't mean anything, then why do you even but, play the game? But games? his point was because it's a fake title. Well, everything's fake. The whole sport's fake. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, the whole show is the show. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, but, and which is why also, uh, because of that mentality is why he put the belt on Arquette, which was brutal, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think. The TNA's had some of the worst booking in the history of the business. I mean, let's face it, with that kind of talent, you know, and drawing those kind of ratings, like, I, sw- I mean, Sullivan used to, Kevin Sullivan used to talk about it. We were like, we, we, we'd have to write the worst TV we ever wrote to draw less than a two, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, all ego aside, or maybe not ego aside, but... <laughs> Did you ever try and help out with the booking? Or? Yeah, I mean, like, I used to, like, sit with, like me and Vince Russo and Disco and uh, Mike Sanders used to meet. I love Mike Sanders had the best nickname ever, Above Average. I, I thought it was the greatest. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little better than average. I'm above Average. Yeah, a little better than that. that yeah. was, oh, I love that nickname. I'm glad you did, too. The so, uh, But we used to meet, and we'd go over the show, and but... Eventually, Vince, uh, you know, like Vince would write it, and then we would try to put our two cents in. But you know, invariably, the the him and Disco's version of wrestling would override anything, and so you know, whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, it's it's one of those things where uh, it, it could be better, but it, and but Dixie it, rode that ship to right into the right into the uh, into the iceberg. I mean the Russo thing, like like what was the deal? She she hired Russo on the sly, and Spike said don't hire him, and she hires him anyway, and so they get booted off Spike for it. I mean how ridiculous! That's <laughs> no. just mind boggling. Yeah, well I mean that's the business. We've talked about a lot of mind boggling things, man. And uh, uh, last question, if I can, if if you can answer this, what was your favorite match that you ever had? My ass in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Rus- Russell from, uh, from, from, <laughs> from the Fat Albert, Albert Gang. Yeah. Um, actually, I had about five. I think the the, the one uh, me and Rhino had at uh, Judgment Day. I think it was mm-hmm. uh, when when he um, somehow got that frame into a shopping cart 
when he went to Gourmet, I moved and he gored the shopping cart, but went inside oh, it. Went right through the, yeah. yeah. The, the, oh, wow, yeah, I remember that. I, try, I did that once against, we wrestled again later on, like a, a lot of times, but on a pay-per-view. And this time I went into the shopping cart and I, and I barely squeezed in. I was like, how the hell did he squeeze in? <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. And then I hit him with the kitchen sink because, you know, everything but the kitchen sink. Right, so We I, have the kitchen sink. Hello. Which I first introduced in ECW. That, that match... Uh, my Gold, my first Goldberg match. Although the second one wasn't bad either. Was but, that when he beat you for the U.S. title? The yeah, first one. Yeah, my my lengthy twenty three hour reign. <laughs> really? Who'd you beat? Uh, Page, I guess. I don't know. I don't remember. The definition of the transitional champion. I don't know. I thought, and I really thought I was going to hold the belt for a while too. You know, I was like, ah, yeah, I'm going to hold the belt, and uh, like, I mean, but I mean, I really thought that they were going to use, like, you know. And then I got run over by the, you know, like 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 Grazer always says, he got run over by the red, white, and blue blood, the red, white, and blue bus when it went Luger and the uh, remember the Luger <laughs> yeah. Express, yeah. I got run over by the Goldberg machine. Um, well, I mean, that, they tried to do that to me too. They, they, you had something you could actually do something with, and then it ends up being they just wanted to do the typical minute and thirty Goldberg squash, and that's what right. it was, right? You know, jackhammer spear. Yeah, the um, so that match. Um, just because he was such a horrendous worker and I got so much out of him, you know, I felt like oh, the Terry Gordy match um, when because that I'm really proud of because uh, and Stevie has a lot to do with that because he, uh, you know, is my sidekick and he was in the match. But every that was uh, three, four, five years after Gordy had the uh, the brain damage. And uh, and everybody and he hadn't had a good match since before the brain damage. I didn't think he was capable of having one. Yeah. He could hardly, could hardly think. Yeah, and but but me and Stevie or I put together a match with Stevie's help. Um, I have to clarify that because Stevie definitely had input. You know what I mean? And uh, so I don't want to leave him out. But then I you know I don't want to make it you know you know what I'm saying like it's yeah, like, yeah. You know, he, like he got he got a co-write but you wrote the majority of it. Yeah, yeah. that's it. But and, and and the reason I'm picky about that is. Is stuff that to me that's important, at least to me that's important. I mean, to anybody else, it probably isn't important at all. Um, I never want to not give credit, but I also want to take, you know, the lion's share. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, you know what yeah, I'm saying. I gotcha, I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure you're, you're the you're same give, way. You're giving him uh, the credit for the amount of work that he did. Right. He did 10% of the work. It's enough to get credit. He probably did 20 to 5. If I did 25, 30, if you okay. include his work in the ring. Yeah, he still got the majority share. Yeah. But because because and we set it up so they, he was brain damaged. But we 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 figured out all you know his spots that like you know the jumping you know the jumping yeah, and play. They jump up and down. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the Asiatic spike. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, we also got him to wrap barbed wire around my head. But we you know it's like I was talking before about uh, in the other uh, interview um, about. Uh, Making it chore- choreographed, but not but making it look organic as opposed to just looking choreographed. And basically, we had stops along the way, so we all he had to do was this happens. Now we go to here. Stevie will lead him to the next spot. I'll lead him to the next one. Stevie will lead him to that one. And all he had to do was just follow along, you know. And mm-hmm. and and I don't know why other people couldn't get a, a good match out of him because it's you just have to think, you know. It's like. I, I don't think you're capable of having a bad match at this point, do you? Um, I mean, not a great. I, it could I, be a, everybody could, but I, I think I pretty much have a down pat on how to, how to pretty much have a foolproof good match every time. Like if you could have the work guy screwing up every which way, but you're smart enough to to cover it, right? Yes. So you, it's never gonna. It might not be a great match, but it, you're not it's gonna not have gonna a, be stinker. a stinker. Right? Yeah. And so 
to me, because you know those things, you know, it's like, um, I think you told me this, that you used to like to work Rikishi, um, but you, or you had good matches with him because you knew how to bump around him. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we're like, I guess you were saying to some other people that were having problems with him, and, and you were like, no, you just have to know that with Rikishi, you know, with his mobility, you just bumped it from him. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, to me, that's what I always tried to have, you know, until I got complacent, you know, with a hardcore style, but I tried to have my opponent's match. Instead of having my own style... Instead of like like Ric Flair had the same match with everybody, absolutely. I would have my opponent's match, so every match would look different because I was having their style of a match, and I would cater to their strengths. And it also it's like you're in the back trying to put a match together, and you know they're going to want to do this move, this move, and this move, and they may. And I always think of my psychology is better than everybody else's, and that's you know ego, but that's also. You know, I think there's some truth in it, you know, and some ego in it. But the um <laughs> but I would rather trust I would rather go down with my own ego than than take a chance on somebody else's Yeah, yeah go down doing what you thought was right. Right, exactly. Yeah. But I'll take full I always yeah. take full responsibility. If it sucked, I'll say, "Look, I had my idea and it sucked." Mm-hmm. I have no problem with that. And I think everybody should be that way, but I, whatever. But the um what was I saying? The uh, Tell your favorite matches. Yeah, but um, Gordy. The uh, anyway, so yeah, so um, to me, it's like if you know how to if you if you know how somebody. Oh, I know what it was. Okay, so you'd be in a locker room and you're trying to put a match together. So let's say I'm working with you and we don't know each other, but I know you do this thing, this thing, the quadrata or whatever the hell it's called, you know, <laughs> and uh, you do a lion salt and you do this and that. And, and, I, and I'm afraid you're going to put the, these spots in, in some weird kind of random order. So I'll come up with spot. I'll, I'll come up with ideas where it's like, where I'll, I'll say, well, look, why don't we do this? Where you do, where I do this, this, and you do that, that, and that, and I'll put your spots in for you, and you know, which is flattering to the other guy that you want to put his stuff over, yeah, yeah. you know. But I'll put them in in a psychology that lends itself to a to the match that I think is best we're going to have, and then generally they're going to be like, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. And so, and so instead of having to pull teeth and go, hey, listen, I want to get my stuff in, I never worry about getting my stuff in. My stuff is selling. So I don't have to worry about getting it in, you know, like yeah. my stuff that gets me over is, is hitting my pose, sitting in the corner, selling. Um, and if you sell, you're always going to get over. That's a, going back to the road dog. He knew to, he had two moves, he had two moves. Then he'd get beat up and sell, mm-hmm. you know, and that's all there is. You know, he'd fire up when he was when he fire up, hit his two moves and then he'd get beat up and he would sell. Yeah. You know, but that's all you need. You know, his dad taught him right. Um and he got way more over than guys doing a million things. Um, so if you know your opponent's stuff, you can just basically build their stuff in. And if like, and because of Terry, you know, I had to have Stevie help help me lead him around a bit. But you know, get him from point A to point B sometimes, if I remember correctly. But it was more so. I was le- I was more surprised that other people couldn't get as good a match out of him than that I did. I guess mm-hmm. you know, but. Um, like you said, you're working to his strengths, yeah, even but, as a brain damaged guy. But you have to, and and I don't. And to me, it's like, why would you not work to your opponent's strengths? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Why? Because then you're just pulling teeth. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, you know, 
Does he have the issues? Yeah. Yeah, because then they're going to want to. Oh, I got to get my shit in. Everybody's about. I got to get my shit in. The, the best way, if you if you really want to learn to get over and get get easily get over in this business, learn how to sell your ass off, and then just don't worry about getting your shit in because you get over by selling. And if you're a heel, the fact that you take the beating and beating and beating, and you keep like the Timex, you keep licking but keep on ticking. You're gonna get over. Is it, who's the toughest guy? The guy that takes an ass whooping and keeps going and keeps getting up. You know, it's the concept from every movie, every movie hero. Yeah. Uh, you ever been uh, told that you sound like Randall from Clerks? <laughs> yeah, by you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks, man. Thank you, buddy. Thanks again to Raven. So funny and such an interesting guy. Uh, lots to talk about with him. I'd love to have him back on the show to talk about movies. He's a pop culture um, aficionado. The useless trivia triumphant of me, Raven, and Conan could sit there for hours and talk about nothing. And one day I will get a podcast with the three of us. I guarantee it. I want to do it. And hey, don't forget, Robert Trujillo, he was on last week on Talk is Jericho. Such a great show with his whole family. Great to have him on. Don't forget his movie, Jocko, comes out this week. The documentary and the legendary jazz player, Jocko Pistorius. The soundtrack album features that amazing performance from Mass Mental. Rob Flea, Whitfield Crane, Stephen Perkins, filling in for regular Mass Mental drummer Brooks Wackerman, who's now with Avenged Sevenfold, which was announced right here on Talk is Jericho. Uh, that movie, Jocko, documentary, it's amazing. It comes out this Friday. Friday, November 27th, Black Friday Record Store Day. You'll also be able to get a DVD copy of the Jocko documentary on the 27th as well. And you can catch Jocko on video on demand on December 1st. All right, go check that out. It's a really interesting documentary, whether you know who Jocko is or not. Uh, I saw another great documentary called Supermensch. You got to go check that out if you like documentaries about the life and times of Shep Gordon. What a great guest he would be on Talk is Jericho. Shep, if you're listening, you got an open invitation, pal. Come on, do the show. Uh, and come on down to see us in Europe with uh, actually in England now as the Cinderblock Party Tour rolls on. It's been a blast with Nonpoint, Sumo Psycho, great people, great bands, so much fun to travel with. And tonight we're in Tunbridge Wells in England. That's Wednesday. Thursday, we'll be in London at the Islington Academy. You do not want to miss that show if you live in London. Manchester Friday, Chester Saturday, Southampton on Sunday. So many more gigs, too, all across the U.K. Go to FozzyRock.com and check them out. And come check out our new new improved VIP program. It's been great. We do a private pre-show uh, concert for the VIPs, and you guys choose the songs. We usually start with Spider in My Mouth and then let the fans choose the rest of the songs. So we've played Lights Go Out and Enemy, and uh, we played Inside My Head, Died With You, Martyr No More, we did Cold Gin. We've been doing Fozzy Jazz, which is a great jam. We even had VIP Party Man. Pascal from the Netherlands came and sang Cold Gin with us on stage. You want to sing with Fozzy on stage? We had a guy in Hamburg sing To Kill a Stranger with us. That was great. And when he didn't know the lyrics, he just went, blah, 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 which was awesome. You want to come sing with Fozzy? Here is your chance. FozzyRock.com. All gig information, all cities, venues, and VIP information. Go check it out. And one last thank you to all the Talk is Jericho supporters and all the great sponsors, including DDP Yoga. Don't forget to tweet your DDP Yoga story, too, at Talk is Jericho for a chance to win the DDP Yoga program signed by Diamond Dallas Page. Avant. 
Check out AvantOffer.com if you need a loan, True Car if you need a new car, and Amazon. Use the Talk is Jericho links whenever you do any online shopping. Go to Podcast One, click on the Supporter Show Sponsors banner at the top of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. All right. Thanks to Raven. Thanks to Rob Trujillo. Thanks to Luke Harper. Thanks to all of you. Go back and listen to as many episodes as you want. And until, uh, until then, uh, Friday. Conan will be here, the other member of the Useless Trivia Triumphant Raven today. Conan on Friday makes his talk as Jericho debut. Always controversial, always entertaining. He will be here. So we'll see you then. Stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com.